tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Live from Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And hello out there in Radio Land. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics from Studio A in Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your nation's capital. Joining me as they do every time in studio, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He is the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And at my 11 o'clock, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy, the one we know as... Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello, Admiral Ken. On furlough from Boca del Vista. That's that's right. Apparently, you got the hall pass. And directly to my one o'clock, he is the former Democrat, or he's currently, I guess you'd call him, Democratic political operative, former Biden political operative, and attorney in Washington, D.C., Dan Lipner. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. And, uh, dude, that is just so creepy. You know what, dude? <laughs> just really, really? That, no, you're not allowed to do that. Well, in the cage with us today is Oscar. Hello, Oscar. Good afternoon, gentlemen. And somewhere out there in the hinterlands of upstate New York is our producer, Audrey Howerton. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Uh, we just got word, uh, which we'll probably talk about hopefully here in another segment, but we just got word that the latest proposal from Theresa May's uh, planned Brexit is failed miserably again, putting her on her heels. That's going to be interesting discussion. We'll get to that here later. Uh, but one of the things we do want to talk about today, in case you did not hear or you were living underneath some sort of uh, comfortable rock, President bon- President Trump yesterday put out his budget for 2020, a stunning $4.7 trillion budget, a record budget put out by the White House. Uh, the presidential budget request is a... I've heard Democrats call it a a a, uh, a an acid trip, a delusional reality. Republicans are saying this is the new norm as far as spending goes, but deficit spending be damned, they just put all, full steam ahead on 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 putting money out there. It is the big news coming out of the budget is the big concern. President budget is literally going 180. He is violating a campaign promise that he stood firm on, but he is literally killing Medicare, Medicaid, and it is it is noticeable. Uh, let's let's go. Wait, well, this president doesn't keep his word. I what? know, shocking. I know, shocking, <laughs> shocking. Uh, let's go to the amount first. Admiral Ken, President Trump was talking about, I'm going to balance the budget, I'm going to balance the budget, I'm going to be fiscally conservative, look what I can do, I'm a businessman, I know how to run a business. He has literally put forth the largest budget request in the history of American government, and even his own Office of Management and Budget puts out numbers that say that they won't be able to touch spending down the deficit 
for 15 years, which means that he has literally sealed a deal for deficit spending for the next decade. These, this deficit spending is not only a flip-flop on a promise, but this could potentially hurt the people that put him into office. Why aren't people up at arms about this, or are they? I think that the, um, the Republican Party that we knew um, as young men, even up until maybe three years ago, four years ago, I'll be generous, it is gone. And it, there, there does not seem to be any, anything left uh, that describes why, you know, why it was the party of Lincoln and, and the party of Reagan. The idea that we should live uh, uh, not above our means and um, to uh, try and push, push back uh, crazy numbers like, like, like the ones we're seeing in this budget seems to have disappeared uh, from the landscape. Um, I, I think in, in times, in, in, in I guess older times, you might have thought that members of the Senate and the Congress uh, of the party would push back on this. But uh, as it just came out, I don't think we've, we, we've had an opportunity to see that. But if their behavior is in line with what we've seen in the last year or so, I don't uh, expect there to be much in the way of resistance. And I think you're probably going to see continued enablement. Uh, Alan Moore, is, is big-time deficit spending the new norm regardless of party now? No, it's not the new norm. It's the old norm. We've had that norm now for a long time. But as Ken points out, it wasn't that many years ago where at least the Republicans agonized over it, tried to resist, tried to fight. Um, most of I mean, the, that was what the Tea Party most, came into power about. It was a lot of things. But they never the, did it. Right. It, 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 uh, it, it's this insidious marriage of the parties not over how to spend the deficits, but uh, but but whether to just have a big deficit. So what that means is that this president's budgets, this is his third one, is just like Obama's budgets in that it's dead on arrival. It's a political statement, which doesn't mean there isn't content there that, that uh, at some level um, the administration or portions of it are serious about. But... When when he proposes to increase defense spending a full five percent on top of of the increases of the last couple of years, and then and then pay for it in dribs and drabs and bits and pieces, not by the way out of Medicare and Medicaid, but 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 basically out of of uh, out of every other impossible unrealistic agency. cuts in other agency budgets for, that range sort of from ten percent. To thirty percent in the case of EPA won't happen, can't happen. But but here here's here, and I want to go to you on this, Alan. From a government economics aspect, is there seems to be a lack of coordination, shocking between the White House OMB and the federal. The, the president is literally putting out rose-colored sunglasses budget. He's predicting three point two percent growth over the next fiscal year which is contrary to his own Federal Reserve's growth predictions of 2.3%, is, is that kind of miscoordination or misinterpretation dangerous to our economy? 
Well, <laughs> or to the fiscal stability of the government. It's nothing new that the administrations put out rosier estimates, typically, White Houses, um, put out typically rosier estimates than do the Fed, or for that matter, the Congressional Budget Office, both of which um, d- d- tend to be more neutral, if you will, in, in their estimates. Having said that, their estimates, sometimes they're exceeded. The, 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 the growth in the last two years by this president has exceeded what it, it didn't achieve the four percent he was talking about, which was just out of the, out of the blue numbers. But it did exceed the numbers predicted by both the Fed and the CBO. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Dan Lipner, then Admiral Ken. Hold okay, so, so there's a, a bunch of things to unpack there. So first, well, and, just do one real quick. <laughs> hey, I only got two bites of the apple uh, there. I'll, right I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you one and a half. Go. So the the first and foremost, while the 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 economic growth has been not half bad. The government revenue has been down. The tax cuts that were supposed to pay for themselves are not, are clearly are not. So the growth in the deficit was, is partially due to those tax cuts. So we can let's start there. Yes, there's also the issue of spending. The, there was a period during the Clinton administration, they actually said they were going to just go with the CBO numbers. The White House was not going to come up with their own numbers as far as the economic growth. Uh, then the Republicans took over, and then everything went in se- separate directions again. But there was a two-year window where everyone was playing with the same set of numbers. As far as this president and these budget cuts, these budget numbers, they don't make sense. Even as a policy document, you would like to throw some sugar at somebody that you like, other than the Department of Defense. Those folks in areas. Now, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Hold on, Department of Defense. I mean, look, the three big winners here are Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, and the Veterans Administration. The big losers here is everybody else in government. Right, and so there's there's a, in all due respect, there's a finite number of people who make money, as far as the the let's be clear the military contractors who who make the equipment that are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of the DOD budget increase cuz i believe salaries and for soldiers sailors airmen and marines are not going up i believe that was capped uh last time around so the VA numbers okay yeah the VA is a mess and it's a really expensive agency um it's i'm not against spending money there i am go ahead Oh, we'll get to that. Hold on. That said, it's still a policy document, and you're supposed to at least be showing some love to somebody. That Medicare number is a real right. number. We're gonna, so we'll get to that. What that's what that's going to mean electorally for him is insane. But, yeah, Admiral Ken, first of all, go to you. And so, we'll so two things. Break it down. Uh, one, the the uh, the 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 concept of the president not listening to authoritative voices within his administration and doing something that's in line with his thinking, no matter how flawed that might be, is not an unusual situation. We've been here before, kids. We, we really have. N- number two, the um, the the idea that um, that we're going to throw more good money after bad in some of the agencies that are not doing as well as they should be, despite despite. Um, uh, clear options of doing other things. It, again, not unusual. We've been here before as well. Uh, I, you know, I, I being a vet, nothing would please me more than to see the VA uh, become a much better version of itself. But I have seen no reason to believe that more money is going to solve that problem. Alan Moore, there is 
a very the big ticket takedown on this seems to be the fact that President Trump in in twenty sixteen in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen made the promise he would not touch Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, and yet there is an eight billion dollar hit to Medicare, Medicaid in this budget request. Uh, how does the, how does the White House justify that type of hit on non discretionary spending? I assume that he will. Do what he did, what he does every time, which is deny that he said something, A, and B, deny that what he's proposing is in violation to whatever it was that he said. Having said all that, um, uh, cuts in in those social programs don't come because a president changes his mind or stakes out a position. They come as a result of a bipartisan group coming together and concluding that for the good of the country, some changes have to be made. That process, which we've 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 come kind of close a few times, the famous Simpson-Bowles Commission that we spent a lot of time here talking about um, in the Obama administration um, or early in, um, it, it it is not part of what's going on here. So this is a matter of the president feeling vulnerable because there's no clear progress on reducing the annual deficit, bringing down the accumulated national debt, hearing about it from some of his friends, especially at a time when the economy is going strong. We can debate the the details of that if we want. And so he's trying to, he said, so we need to show some progress in reducing the deficit. Find it. He's not a detail guy. So they they throw something together here. I mean, I that's that's a little unfair. A lot of people spend a lot of a lot of time but, on on putting but it you're together. You're talking eight hundred and forty five billion dollar cut to Medicare. It's not in a single year. I mean, no, here's no, the it's problem. over the ten it's, years, it's, but it's, still, it's, it's it's a trillion dollar pro. It's close to a trillion dollar program. I mean, it it it's you have to look at the details. It's it, what you typically when you're going after Medicare, you're going after hospitals, doctors, and drug expenses, um, and a quote, and of course leaving patients alone. It doesn't work. It it doesn't work that way in the real world. But you have to look at the right. a. You have to look at the details. But b. Then to turn that into actual policy, you need to show some movement, momentum in the Congress. I mean, I'm not seeing. The, There's no support for it in Congress. The, the, well, there is actually, but not, nothing you'd, you'd see unless it became bipartisan Me, and grew out of a process. Well, you've got you've got Nancy Pelosi, who pretty much guaranteed it was going to see the circular bin file when it gets her desk. Uh, I've had. I've had even one Republican staffer tell me this thing's probably dead on arrival. Uh, I have never seen a budget in recent years sent up by a president that was not dead on arrival in the minds of a lot of the people who were receiving it. Well, but, and, and, but, that, and that's true. But the question is, what? again, it's a policy proposal document. And what was he trying to get from this? It's not quite clear to me what his upside was that. Who was the love note to? It's not clear. But, but here's, here's the funny thing about that, though, is in, in past years, when George W. Bush, as much contention as he had, 
with Congress, the PBR was at least somewhat reasonable a reasonable effort to at least show some sort of idea of this is my starting point, you give me yours. And they would take it, they would go through the process, they would take it to conference, and we would get the appropriation, we get the spending bills. Oh, exactly. But and it's still the these are the, the priorities but, but that this, I want out there. But Other this than to me, him saying again, the list that we've already covered. Who are the regular people that benefit from this budget? Well, it's not clear. You, I mean, I mean, Admiral Ken, you're talking about cuts to farm subsidies at a time when tariffs are killing farmers on a daily basis. How do you justify that? I mean, that's this not going to win you tariffs that he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> managed to get yeah. this trade war, uh, and you're cutting the subsidies that are going to help offset the pain from I, those tariffs. I, I think probably for the millionth time that we've sat around this table, uh, either uh, in virtually or, or in person, you know, we're trying to apply some level of rationality to things that that don't don't require or uh, can stand up to that kind of analysis. You know, I think back to the Medicare piece. You know, have, having done 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 the, I guess the detailed reading on this. You know, to answer your question, um, he's looking at making up the difference by uh, ferreting out fraud, waste, and abuse. Now, that sounds really great on paper. It's not enough. It sounds really great on paper. The problem is, the problem is, anytime you go after something like that, you've got to look at three components: leadership, process, and tech technology. And you got to be able to do them all, and there's nothing, no reason to believe that 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 kind of mindset is going to take place. But you could recover ten, you could literally recover ten percent annually, according to several uh, people that I've talked to at CMS. That say you're talking about recovering ten percent annually of the cuts. You're talking eight hundred million dollars in in recovery. Best case scenario, if you went after Medicaid, Medicare fraud. Yeah, if CMS was serious about it, so. Okay, I'll give the president that. If that is his intent, go get him, cowboy. Well, I'm all the over problem that. is the problem is costs money too. Well, the problem is you know two of those things are really difficult to do. The leadership change and the the process redesigns really hard to do. The tech piece is easy. Just go out and find a new machine. Except that can be expensive too if you don't do the other two. So again, you know what it comes down to is is will. And direction and drive. And quite frankly, does anyone at this table believe that CMS has got those got got, got those in uh, in in enough quantities to make that happen? Alan Moore. Yeah. So so a couple of things on the Medicare piece because that's the that's the the biggest piece um, uh, here. It's a ten year number. Um, the president has directed that there shall be savings of this amount. He hasn't said how, but the focus is on not just the waste, fraud, abuse piece, but he's uh, almost 300 million of the 800 <laughs> is reclassified out of Medicare into the Department of HHS. So it's really just under it's it's in the it's in the 560, 570 range that we're looking at. But drugs is a big piece also in addition to the waste, fraud, and abuse. And this administration has taken some steps um, that is actually seems to be making some difference in getting gaining some credit of reducing the 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 cost of drugs the price of drugs if you will um that that that's paid and if you can tr- convert some of those savings into medicare which is a huge purchaser of drugs you could conceivably find some dough but, 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 some significant amounts of money all i'm saying is they're what they're trying to do is have their cake and eat it too but he's also trying but, to offset it by putting the responsibilities back on the states that's a very that's clear, not medicare that's medicaid that's a whole different but, 
completely different program. But, but it, you're talking about two programs. Total, I, know, I understand same. it's two programs. Well, what I'm the, saying the is the states don't save the money on Medicare. But on Medicaid, you're talking about funding that goes to all of CMS managed programs. So CMS does Medicare and Medicaid. Right. And what I'm saying is. But either or, both programs are taking a major hit. If you take Medicaid and you put that responsibility back on the states, that's just robbing Peter to pay Paul. Well, what 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 they're what they're trying to do on Medicaid, and we can I, I'm not sure how much we want to be in the weeds here on these programs. We can talk a long time if you want. So Medicaid is cost sharing between the federal government and the states. Poorer states get a higher share of their spending than do wealthier states, and the states have some choices as to what kinds of services they provide. What what Republicans have proposed and what they're proposing here is to convert Medicaid into a block grant program for the states where they will make more of the decisions for a fixed amount of money. It won't just be you spend it, you get reimbursed. It's highly controversial, and but but it's important to understand what's being proposed. Now, if you if you block grant and lock down the money and don't provide uh, funds for increases, um, good good luck serving all the needs of the people who've come to expect it. Dan Lipner, right, and that's the big catch and one of the the big secrets on those kind of issues is those pesky little red states for those of you who are Republicans are actually bigger receivers than donors for those kind of programs. Uh, it's the blue states that are actually funding everyone else. But those are those pesky little details. But with the, with the president, all of this is interlinked. So if I keep coming back to the tax well, let cuts me ask that you went this through Hold on, let and, me... and the adjustments that went through, the, the adjustments in the the, the SALT uh, offset. All right, but let me ask you this question. Hold on, Dan. insane to... Dan, hold yep. on. Let me ask you this question. You're talking about $241 billion reductions in Medicaid spending. Over the next 10 years, it's 24. To be, to be yeah. clear, that is the the, is the, it, the poorest and weakest amongst us. But So you're saying it's a shell game. Not only is it a shell game, it's it, it's dangerous and it's just going to make everything more difficult for those who actually provide care for those in need. Admiral Ken, the, the other big takeaway on this is for a president that's been talking about conservative values, he's a true conservative, this president literally has gone and said, hey... I'm going to increase fees. We're talking about increasing visa applications at State Department, CIS processing. He's talking about proposing an e-cigarette user fee. He's talking about increasing customs fees on a on a on, a, on an administration that's already in the hole on tariffs and everything. Are the, is, this doesn't seem like the right way to try and shift around revenue. Am I missing the boat on this? Nope. So how does the president justify, hey, I want smaller government by creating bigger government and all these agencies that are going to create fees? So, you know, part of the problem here is that, uh, you know, there's some there's some form of calculus that's 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 going on inside of inside of the White House and every once in a while we'll get we'll get a we'll get a document that that defies again a ra- rational rational thought in trying to understand why the, why this two plus two um, you know, equals something else in 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 this administration. I, I honestly don't know. What I do know is this: um, we watched the president 
from the beginning of his campaign, make a number of promises. Um, you know, as late as you know, last week, you know, Matt Slap went on one of the, one of the TV shows and was talking about the fact that you know the president is doing what he said he was going to do, uh, with the exception of some major examples like getting Mexico to pay for a wall and now not cutting not cutting Medicare. And but he 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 continually is allowed um, not only by Republicans in Congress and the Senate, but also by his followers. Uh, to, he's allowed to change change course. And it's OK because because that's the way he's going to lead things. I suspect that, uh, you know, as much as we're 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 churning on this subject um, in a week or so, you will hear not really one uh, complaint about it from his most vocal supporters. If anything, they will fall in line and they'll back his play and they'll come up with some unique way of rationalizing why it's a good idea. I mean, is the Republican Party just turned their only policy position is to be gaslighters? And for those of you who don't know the term, it's essentially just to irritate the other side, not to actually have a policy position other than to irritate people. And that's near second figure. The only positions they're taking are just to irritate folks and go, see, we've irritated the left. We've succeeded. Alan Moore. Dan, are you gaslighting us here around (laughs) the table? He's been doing that for years. Alan Moore, this is the big question is... it strikes me that there was no nobody in their right mind in OMB or in the administration had to believe that this thing was going to see light of day. But traditionally, as we pointed out before, these budget, these presidential budget requests have always been kind of a message, even kind of a a, a starting point. This one almost seems like a finger towards Capitol Hill, middle finger towards Capitol Hill, it is are they literally setting the ground rules for what is going to end up being another budget fight at the end of the fiscal year? Are we talking another government shutdown fight? Well, I, I mean... Because I mean, Larry Kudlow said, yeah, possibly, over the weekend. I, if there is another shutdown, it will be over spending bills, not budget proposals from administrations. I, I'm I'm intrigued with the notion that it's a that it's a finger to Capitol Hill. Um, uh, as we said at the outset, in recent memory, there is no budget. Every budget is a political document. It doesn't mean it's devoid of content. It doesn't mean that it's not, in some measure, serious a, a serious attempt to say, "Here's what we could do. Here's what we would do if we had the power to do it," um, and then and then watch and be involved in the in the congressional budgeting and and more more important appropriations process. And where where it's going to get sorted out? If a president has particular, long-standing um, positions on increasing spending in in an area or or decreasing it elsewhere, um, some that that can make a difference. Last year, uh, in the last two years, defense spending has gone up more than the rest of government, and 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 that was a recognition that a the president was pushing hard, but also a recognition on the part of of majorities, both the House and Senate, that much as challenging as it was, they would support that. Um, and in, it, but we've got a new Congress now, um, and and this proposal is going to going to add to defense and and cut elsewhere. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. On top of the fact that there's one other thing, the uh, federal workers they're going to be paying more into their retirement. 
They're going to be pay frozen. This is a nightmare. Oh, just wait till this first round of AARP mailings go out in response <laughs> oh, to this. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the Donald's going to enjoy the that one. The folks at E Street are going to go off. Can't wait to see this. Anyway, uh, we'll, we're going to come back. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about comments made by the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, she doesn't think an impeachment would be a good idea. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is Backroom Politics. That's the way I feel you today. I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean That's the way I feel today Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And we're back here in Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your national national capital. It is the best political talk you've never heard of. Backroom Politics um, in studio with Alan Moore, Admiral Ken, Dan Lipner, Oscar Behind the Cage. Uh, keeping us honest, we're going to change gears for a second. We want to talk about the latest in Capitol Hill kabuki dancing. In a in in an odd turn, an odd shift in outward policy, uh, Nancy Pelosi came out over the past uh, twenty four to forty eight hours 
and pretty much came out and said that uh, she did not believe that an impeachment was a good idea and said, quote unquote, he's just not worth it. Uh, This is a little bit of a surprising turn of rhetoric coming from the Democratic Speaker of the House. Uh, Dan, let me start with you. She's your speaker. Uh, when you, she's our, well, she's our speaker. That's true. As as much as I dislike him, Donald Trump is our president. Our president. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is known to be a very shrewd, very politically savvy, uh, political operative when, when you're talking about this type of strategy, some are saying this is a flip flop. Are you buying that or is this calculated? I have not heard anyone saying it was a flip flop. If anything, it's it. Everything that's come out since is this is the first time she said it publicly, and everyone now feels vindicated. It's behind the scenes. She's been apparently been saying it for his administration thus far. She didn't think that impeachment was a good idea. It the and the way she chose to approach the statement was very good. Saying that he wasn't worth it, talking about unification of the country, that, that you didn't need want to divide folks on these things and you needed Republicans to be on board. That was a very, very shrewd statement to basically lay things at the foot of the other side. So when the, if the, when the Mueller report comes out, the question is not going to be at Democrats' feet. It's going to be at Republicans. It was a very shrewd move. I mean, does it make—I guess here's my question, Alan, is— does it make political sense for her to take this approach when you have almost every oversight committee in the House conducting what some would believe are impeachable offense-finding excursions in oversight committee hearings? Well, I think what she's 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 trying to do several things uh, uh, to the to that particular question. She's trying to change the narrative from what it is that the committees are investigating. They're they're investigating wrongdoing on the part of this administration. They are not involved in some massive um, let's impeach the president exercise. And whether that is the the collective view of all members, it 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 is it's a good narrative. I think it's a defensible narrative. Um, I found her the timing a little bit odd because we may have the Mueller report within a week. Um, it, it does suggest that she's not assuming that there's going to be uh, grounds for impeachment in that Mueller report or seeds of it that would be then investigated more completely by the House. That's interesting. But she left enough. Uh, she left herself some room. She said, from what we know now. Wait, so you know, what I'm hearing you say is she's hedging her bets on the, on the she, Mueller no, report. No, no, no. She's always she's not stupid. We've just commented on how, how smart and strategic she is. She said, from what we know now, I would not impeach. But she also acknowledges it needs to be bipartisan, which is what we, we which was what we experienced in the Bill Clinton impeachment. It wasn't bipartisan. It was a disaster for for Republicans. A tremendous uh, waste of time and uh, and energy. Um, I think that the timing, though, was in part in part an effort to change the narrative of what's going on in the House from. The question of whether uh, Democrats are policing their own, whether Democrats are anti-Semitic, as the president charged bizarrely and strangely. (laughs) Um, But but, uh, rather than let that be the ongoing conversation about whether she can rein in these new folks, 
I think she concluded, it's time to say what uh, publicly what I've been thinking, what she's been hinting at from the very beginning, and apparently saying behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't, I don't see us going towards impeachment. I mean, I, I, Admiral Ken, I, I've, I've said many times that this country does not bode well in an impeachment scenario, but it just seems to me that with unfortunately all of the the clouds of e-cig vapor that could be smoke surrounding this administration is Nancy Pelosi painting herself into a corner by saying yep you know no impeachment regardless of what comes out in the Mueller report or what they find in oversight committees so if you listen to if you listen to Fox News uh, or any of the uh, the conservative radio people like Rush Limbaugh uh, for the last I don't know four or five months or so uh, they've been presenting uh, the picture that the that the Democratic Party is out to get Trump and and uh, the only reason that the uh, that they did as well in the midterms was so they could get enough bodies in place to, to impeach him and so that's been their narrative, and I think that part of part of the timing of this uh, was to check that narrative, as, as Alan alluded to. The other, the other, the other side of this is the fact that, um, you know, when when the Mueller report comes out, um, you know, sh- you know, I think it's going to be clear as to whether there will be grounds for impeachment. If you look at the the rest of her statement. Uh, it was something to the to the uh, to the point that unless there's an overriding bipartisan reason to impeach, that's not something we're looking to do. So is she hedging her bets? I wouldn't so, say so, but I think what she's doing is, to your point, she's presenting the situation where, look, the report's going to come out. If it looks like he's done something that's untoward, that's worthy of impeachment, you know, we're ready to go. Hey, Republicans, what are you going to do? And then, and I guess finally, finally, um, you know. We, we've you know I, I've lived through the Clinton impeachment um, you know I, I as a as a high school student you know I was there when people were preaching for uh, for Nixon to get impeached and and I think the point that she the other point that she made in her statement was right on target that it is a terribly divisive um, uh, activity for this country to, to to participate in and you know you know the last time we did this to a president. You know, Justin, our party didn't fare too well. No. And, and, and you know what? If if the if the Democrats haven't learned that you don't put a football team uh, number of uh, candidates up for president uh, and expect it to come out good for you, they at least are looking at what happened in the last right. But he, but Dan, look, now here's where I get confused. You've got the speaker, you know, saying, "Look, I, I don't want to go down this road. Impeachment's not a good idea. It's not worth it." And then you've got oversight. I mean, you you you've got House. Committee on Oversight and Reform. You've got Judiciary. You've got Intelligence. You've got Ways and Means. Four major committees that are literally calling for just about every document with a Trump signature out there. Are it, it, it would make it, it sounds like to me is Nancy either telegraphing, "Hey, let's ring this in a little bit. Let's not get too aggressive." Or, oh, absolutely not. No. Mm-mm. Then, 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 what's the reason for this? It, but it, still, allow them to go well, forward well, with something this deep. Well, for starters, I mean, Jerry Nadler's asked for every the, the, document the, 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 under the sun. It's called twenty twenty. There, there has been absolutely no oversight of this administration prior to the Democrats taking over the House. Um, everything from HHS and. To, excuse me, not HHS, Homeland Security. Actually, HHS is included. Um, the 
the number of issues that have gone on in this administration and the ongoing issues with the stupid Trump Hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, possibly funneling money to, directly into the president's pockets, the the uh, T-Mobile merger That's an emoluments clause. That's no, legitimate no, 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 oversight. It is a legitimate clause, but what I'm saying is, you know, you bring up, you know, DHS and HHS. I just saw a hearing with Kirsten Nielsen. There was oversight on that hearing. Right, the, that now, the Democrats are are doing now, that. Where was the oversight when the babies were being separated from their parents? Which, by the way, let's not ignore the fact that some of them still haven't been returned. But this okay, stuff but is a minute. mess. But why, if, if Nancy Pelosi is in fact saying, "Look, I don't want an impeachment," why? No, continue? no, 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 no. That she essentially has said it should not be a. Our, our goals should not be predetermined. We are doing oversight, and the oversight will lead us where it goes. Admiral Ken. That is the purpose. All right, hold on, Admiral the, Ken. The, the strategy is clear. Political death by a thousand cuts. It's 2020. It's 2020. It's the main reason that President Trump did the emergency action ban, because he can say to his— he can, uh, that, Hang on, hold on. Go with me on this. It's the same reason that he went to the emergency action ban. Even if it gets shut down by the courts or by uh, by the Congress, he can say he did what he said he was going to do. She is basically positioning the party where there where there is going to be so much crap surrounding this president that 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 forty percent or forty two percent or so that he's barely hanging on to will dwindle down to something less than thirty, and he can't come back from that. Right now, right now, he's where he you know he he's where all the reelectable presidents were with regard to their popularity. You know, right now. So if that number goes not down, by the next, state. not maybe not maybe not by state, but but overall. If that number goes down, it presents a, a huge issue for him to overcome. Yeah, but Alan Moore, we've got we've got a lot of staff members and a, and a lot of com, and a lot of committee hours and time and resources going out of those four major committees, particularly out of judiciary. Jerry Nadler's got an entire army working on this thing. Could this backfire on the Democrats by going? All in on oversight on the White House and the Trump administration instead of doing oversight on government as a whole? Well, the, pro- the, pro- the problem is it's not visible to the public everything that the Congress is doing. They have asked for documents from 81 different individuals and organizations. That's just, judici- that's just judiciary. Exactly. Right. Well, you, asked, judiciary. You, you mentioned judiciary, right. and so and that's Jerry Nadler's committee. But that 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 is the place where any impeachment articles would emerge. Nadler himself has said, "I want to get the facts that have been kept from us." And we will see where they take us. Nadler has also said publicly that one of the conditions of proceeding with impeachment, in addition to finding an impeachable offense, is bipartisanship. They recognize that you can't get it done in the Senate without a two-thirds vote of senators. I'll remind everyone, the House passes articles of impeachment, which it can do by a simple majority. Then there's a trial that that occurs in the Senate where you need two-thirds votes of members present and voting to convict. They didn't come close with Bill Clinton. Um, and and with, with Richard Nixon, it wasn't until a group of his longtime Republican conservative senators like Barry Goldwater 
came down to him after seeing what was on some of the tapes that they said, Mr. President, we can no longer support you. Now, not many people think that we're going to get to that position regarding impeachment with President Trump. But that doesn't mean that you you don't investigate those areas that you think require investigation, wrongdoing on the part of people in or around the president, not for the purposes of impeaching, but of discrediting again and again and again in time for the 2020 elections, not just the presidential elections, but also the congressional elections, which will will all be part of 2020. That's a risky Political death by a thousand cuts, Justin. It's not. Why is it a risky bet? I'll tell you what's risky is if you— the emergency vote on—anyway, the Senate emergency vote, when is it scheduled for? Thursday. I think it's this week. Yeah. So— I mean, the number but, but, of Republicans that are going to flip on that is not going to be inconsequential. But I, I mean, it's you know, at least four, and we'll see how many more yeah. uh, join. Um, but you're but, still talking. But, but you're still no, but talking this is about to Alan's point. The Republicans that are in blue or purple states are ones that are most likely to be flipping, and a handful of ones that actually have some integrity. Oh no, not I think, many I of think, those. I think, <laughs> I think Rand Paul. Rand Paul's on. On board with he's one of yeah, and that's guy. not exactly a, a, a blue state. We're, where's no, Cruz but, on no, this? but Rand Paul is a big federalism guy. He's, he's where, read the Constitution where, on this stuff. Where's Cruz on that on this thing? I don't know. He hasn't come out and said yet. There's a there's a bunch of there's about ten or twelve who 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 have yet to decide, and they will. They and it's will it's the traditional. It's the Murkowski's, the Collins. Uh, in the in the maple syrup crowd that are that are going to be on board with that in Colorado. Uh, what's his name? Um, his name's escaping me. You, who are you talking about? There are two senators from Colorado, Bennett and the other guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, Corey. Um, uh, oh, oh, wait a minute. Anyway, anyway, I know you're talking it, about. It, it, I'll get it for you. The, we are a credible the, political the, podcast. It, 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 we, 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 you know, you know what? Four hundred sixty-five legislators in this in this Congress. Five hundred. Five hundred. There's a hundred. Four hundred thirty-five in the House. In the House. Another hundred in the other other chamber. That's right. Oh, you're talking about the senator. That's right. Five hundred. Anyway, we are credible about talking about politics. We are. Really, we know. We know. We do. You can't know it all. What, what, you know, what, if Oscar Oscar could find out for us, he's got a computer back there. You, oh, he's you, working on Gardner. Warm. Thank you, Corey Gardner. Corey, Thank you, I, Corey Gardner. I had the Corey part. Come on, guys, give me a break. <laughs> I so, thought you said Booker. No, I said Corey. Because <laughs> <laughs> Bennett, Bennett, Bennett is the other one. We're right, talking about right. the Republican. We'll just call right. Republican. Corey Colorado just so, to save time like the president Corey, does. Corey Apple. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Corey Apple. There we go. Uh, no, but, I, but, I mean, let me ask you this question, though, Alan. Is and and I want to pose the same question to to Dan as well. Is is there a possibility that we might see events turn? Uh, would the Republicans go to the White House and say, "Look, what we're getting out of intel, what we're getting out of oversight, what we're getting out of ways and means, what we're getting out of judiciary, we can't save you. You gotta go." The question is, would they go to the president with that? Or is he too? Is he too strong? It's just too big. It's too challenging a hypothetical. It, 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 you know, Richard Nixon was strong, but they had him dead to rights. His words on tape, the so-called smoking gun that he knew about this conspiracy 
and therefore was part of it from the very beginning, something he had denied, denied, denied. People had gone to the mat to protect him. And, and finally, when the text came out in that tape, they, they concluded they could no longer defend him. I'm not seeing something like that emerging, but I don't know what's going to emerge. Yeah. Neither, neither does Nancy Pelosi, which is why she's given herself some room. It's why Jerry Nadler says, we're doing this investigation to see what we find. That's our job. That's what we do. Um, and with regard to impeachment, he also, as did Pelosi, acknowledges it has to be bipartisan. So any sin that would become impeachable and 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 potentially have two thirds majority in the Senate would have to be so powerful, so overwhelming in its in its being obvious for what an egregious thing it is. I'm, but but, but, but they don't. But they they're objective. Their objective is to win in 2020 and expand their majority in the House, perhaps take control of the Senate. This provides a useful mechanism, and I it, because no one can deny right, but, that it's not part of their responsibility. All right, Ken, let me ask you but, this question. Going off of what, uh, what Alan was saying, which is more important, keeping the White House and keeping Trump in the White House— or winning back the House and the Senate for Republicans, which is the which is the bigger grab? Well, based on the behavior that I've seen so far, is keeping Trump in the White House. Based on what I've seen so far, yeah, and, the and right the reason, question and, was and, asked. And the, and the re, and, well, agreed. So well, hold on. Well, so let me. So hold on. So the reason I say that, if you go part and parcel to each one of the the, the, the guys in the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate, the number one thing that they point to is is the composition of the Supreme Court. They are all about making the Supreme Court as conservative as they possibly can. They want to get rid of Roe versus Wade. They want to get rid of a lot of things that that uh, that that they believe have has gone the wrong way in the last fifteen to twenty years. So, uh, and and uh, as well as naming of other uh, conservative judges to the federal courts, that is their big banner right now. So, the, if so, if if that's the question you want to ask, my opinion is it's keeping Trump president. Really? Yep. Yeah, and when I said when I said the 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 right question wasn't asked, uh, the integrity of the system as a whole, and I mean the system as a whole, uh, we're talking about people's faith in institutions, Congress, the courts, the the whole the 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 whole deal, the American public's faith in the federal government, the the courts. Even though the courts are a backstop at the moment, but this president is putting some serious effort into knocking that backstop down, the the knocking down the credibility of Congress, even though Congress does a, a reasonably good job of that, that themselves, there are still plenty of people who work hard in the interests of the country on both in both parties that represent us in in both Congress and not to mention the executive branch as a whole that this president but, is is completely against. Right, but, but think about this though for a second. If if the Democrats get enough traction that they could possibly take the Senate and own that Senate and the House. Yeah, it, it's worth depending it. on the margins. Is that a bigger and, that, and that's a is that a bigger nightmare for the Republicans? Because if the Dems take it, then you start using the I word. So again. I, I haven't I haven't uh, done done the count on this. Um, and by the way, the the I word it is not going to be necessary if the Democrats do as well in the Senate as could happen. The odds of Donald Trump getting reelected in that process are almost zero. We've been down this road before, Daniel. We, we, 
I give you president November getting, 6, 2016. The president getting reelected and having a party switch in the Senate? Are you kidding me? Where have we seen that happen before? Alan? So I, I wanted to, to, to comment about the Senate um, and this question about do, do Republicans in the Senate uh, place a higher priority on reelecting the president or, or keeping their majority? For me, it's not even a question. They would want to keep their majority. They don't like this president. They tolerate him. They live with him. They know they have to they enable be him. aligned with him. They enable him, um, but but they they don't respect him. They don't like him by and large. I mean, I would say they're a little more measured than many, and they do see the you know occasional positive quality or positive outcome. But they would much rather see a Washington where the the the, the if there was. There was a Republican Senate yep. to hold uh, to to restrain a Democratic president. Then a Republican then, a midterm. Re, then, then a Donald Trump right. with a full Democratic Congress. If you're a Republican senator, that would be the worst of all worlds. Put yeah, another way, they care more about their own job than they do about Donald Trump's job. Well, no, no, no. And that is that. simplicity. No, no, no. Well, well, you know, well, this is where I agree with them. And if they, I'm a but Republican. It's their, but it's not just their own jobs. It's th- having the majority with the power of what the right, majority jo- is able right. to do. The, the, the job of chairman or chairwoman is much better than minority. Well, no, no, no. But, but here's the thing. Is this is where I agree with Alan. Is the fact that, look, if, if, I, keep, if I keep the Senate. I can I can at least keep some control, even if the Democrat wins the White House. I keep the Senate. That pretty much guarantees me that I could flip the House back red in midterms. I've got a Republican Congress and a Democratic uh, and a Democratic White House, and it's game on. We look at another four years. Well, you may or may not be able to flip the house if you're if you're the the Senate doesn't spend a lot of time worrying about thinking about. Who, which party is in control of the House, or at least in terms of putting a lot of energy to it. Right. They are focused on their own world. Right. Okay. That being said, uh, good I'm show. Actually, I'm actually looking at the numbers here. What's just, that? Just on this, Real quickly, because uh, I'm, 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 I'm about two seconds away from getting music. Doug Jones uh, is the only, looks like the only potential pickup for the Republicans in 2020. I'm looking at the names. I don't see any other names that they could potentially pick up that are Democrats, whereas lots of Republicans could go down. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We've got an entire year to go over it. Uh, thanks, guys. As always, Dan Lipner, Admiral Ken. Uh, Alan Moore, Oscar, thank you as always for keeping us honest back there. And I am your host, moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next time for a new episode of the best political talk show you've never heard of. You can check us out on our website, www.backroompolitics.org, where you can hear all of our historical documents. You can also check us out on your favorite podcasting service at iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, even now Spreaker. I'm sorry, um, Spotify. We're kind of a big deal now. Uh, We'll see you again, America. Thanks.